Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Emmanuel, God with us. Praise his name forever. Cannot wait, my friends, until we get to glory and we set in on that praising God forever and ever. I'm going to scoot back just a touch. For last night, I felt a little heat from the Advent. It's beautiful. I love seeing it in full display, reminding us of the light of the world that has come. This, uh, this day that we celebrate his birth. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to, um, where are we going today? We're going to Luke chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 25 through 38. We're also going to be in Psalm chapter 27. Now, I know you got 10 fingers, so you can stick in your Bible and hold your place at least 10 times, okay? I'm not going to do that to you. But go ahead and put one finger or that nice little tab there, stick it in Psalms, stick it in Luke chapter 2. Let's go there first, friends, and read together from the Word of God this morning. We're looking at the story of Simeon and uh, Anna. We're going to start reading in verse 25. And if you would stand with me, since you just sat down. In honor of the word of God this morning, here is God's word for you starting again in verse 25, and I'll read through verse 38. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years and when she was a, uh, from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray together. 
Father, as we come into your presence this morning, we have your word open before us. And I do pray that our hearts are equally open before you. It is my prayer, Father, that you speak to us and that you once again come to the aid of your people. Yes, Lord, we wait for you. We need courage that can only come from Christ Jesus, our Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, friends. You may be seated. Have you ever used one of those pop-up timers that come with your turkey? You have little plastic gadgets they stick in there. You may not have even known it was in there. Uh, I remember us baking one a couple of years ago and didn't realize what that thing was until it popped out. And then I'm like, oh, well, that makes total sense. Pop-up timers. Fantastic thing. Let's you know when the core of the turkey is done, right? The rising temperature, it's at the right spot. Boop, out it comes. It's fully cooked. It's ready to dig in and devour. You know it's done. When the time is right, it's done. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. There was a time in David's life. We're going to look at David for a minute, and we'll get back to Luke. I'm going to build into, into what we read out of Luke for just a moment. There was a time in David's life when he had to wait. He had to wait for that timer to pop up. He was waiting on the Lord to act, waiting on the Lord to deliver him. Psalm chapter 27, verses 13 and 14 that I referenced just a moment ago, David ends the song with this thought. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. What an encouragement and way to end a song, and I know Psalm 27 isn't a Christmas passage that we would normally turn to and find the prophecy of Christ waiting for us there about his birth or anything like that, but it is a truth that we need to hear today as a church, that we find in David a man who had an unwavering and unquestioning loyalty and trust in God. The connection to Luke chapter 2 is that you find the same thing in Simeon. As David is singing in Psalm chapter 27 of how God's people had, uh, had, had a way of um, not just talking the talk of confidence in God, but also walking in that confidence, especially David as king of Israel. He had a confidence in waiting on God. And we understand that confidence is a, is a place or a, a state of feeling certain about the truth of something. What was David's confidence in? Why was he walking so confident in his relationship with God? Well, it's because God had promised him something. And that's what we find in Psalm 27 is that God's promises call us to a station of quiet confidence in God. Confidence in God. It's not found in arrogance. True confidence is grounded, of course, in Christ alone. It's not arrogance. Arrogance is based on pride. But confidence comes from something outside working 
inward. And for David, that something was the promise of God, that he would have a man on the throne forever, an heir on the throne for all time. Time and time again, as we have journeyed through the Old Testament this year, and this is why I go to Psalms, because it's, it's the last Sunday of the year, we're kind of closing out the Old Testament today. All throughout, we have seen the promises of God renewed over and over and over again. And we look at David one more time. That confidence of those heroes of the faith that Hebrews chapter 11 talks about, Abraham, Sarah, David, Gideon, and all the rest of them. There's a quiet confidence there that comes from knowing that God is on their side and that they have that relationship, that they were chosen by God as his people and that he had made that promise and renewed it time and time again. And time and time again, God had answered that promise. Yet there was something more out there that David was waiting for, something more that Abraham was looking forward to, something more that Moses was looking forward to than what they were experiencing in their own daily life. And we read in David's life of the steady trust of God's presence with him, that the Lord's answer will come in his time. We look at the shepherds of the story of the nativity and the birth of Christ and some of some folks look at the shepherds with ridicule and, you know, they're smelly, they're, they're dirty. They were the low end of the uh, totem pole in the society of Israel at that time when Jesus is born. They're out on the hillside. They tend sheep. Um, they deal with dumb animals. I mean, all these things. But their response is what catches us off guard. Their response and their, their simple belief to run, to go to Bethlehem. Let's go and find what the angels had talked about. Do you know what prevents a man or a woman from trusting God's message or God's promises like the shepherds or like David? Do you know what it is? It's a simple word. It's called pride. Pride will get in the way every single time. But when you read Psalm 27, when you see Simeon's life in Luke chapter 2, just the short glimpse that we have, we don't see pride there. We see a quiet station of confidence in God. That God's presence is with them. That God is working to fulfill his promise. Pride would have kept David from seeking the Lord and trusting his promises. Pride would have kept Gideon or Abraham or Moses or any of the other Old Testament characters. Esther, in the time uh, of, uh, for such a time as this, when she's before her husband, the king, Mordecai, urging her on to go speak to the king. Nehemiah, when he goes before his king, the cupbearer to the king, asking if he can return home and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Time and time again, we could have seen that pride would have kept any of these heroes of the faith from that relationship with the Lord and turning to him. But we also read from David that God desires that we have a broken and contrite heart before him. That is the exact opposite of pride. Pride says, I don't need God. Pride says, I don't need his promises. I'll get there on my own. Pride will keep us from coming to Christ, even today, on bended knee. It would blind us to the truth that to know God truly requires that contrite heart, that broken spirit, that humble heart. If you go back to the beginning of Psalm 27, David starts out his song by saying, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me, listen, David was running for his life time and time again. First King Saul, then some of his own family would come after him, trying to take him out. 
When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. You hear the confidence of David? Why is he so confident? He's confident because he knows God is with him. God is fighting for him and God has made him a promise. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. God's promises call us to a station of confidence in God and trust. And then we look at again at verses 13 and 14. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. This is a man whose life is hanging in the balance. Yet he has this confidence in the Lord. And he calls those who are singing this hymn. It's a reminder to believe, trust God, and wait. Holding on to his faith. His patience coming out, waiting on the Lord. Rather, God's patience at work in his life, waiting on the Lord, marked by a great faith. It could mean that David is believing that God is going to rescue him during his own lifetime. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He would help David out of some mess, certainly from those trying to take his life. But looking forward... Just like Abraham and Moses and all the others had to look forward, David was hoping in the promise of God, believing that God would save him through death. His death? Not his death. The death of the promised one. That he would again see the goodness of God after the resurrection. That is the resurrection of Christ. If you go back just a few chapters to Psalm 22, 23, and 24, those have very strong messianic overtones that point us to looking at Christ. Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what Jesus says that on the cross. Psalm 23 is, of course, the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Psalm 24, it's almost like a parade of the entrance of a king coming in to his reign. It's a beautiful, beautiful chapter. Three powerful songs that written all by David. David is looking forward to that promise of God. You know, another man that came to mind this week as I was thinking about those who had to wait on the Lord in, in the midst of hardship was Job. In the midst of his suffering, Job said something very similar to what David was singing in Psalm 27. And it speaks of a confidence in God, trusting in God's promise and God's covenant. He says this in verse 25. He says, uh, Job 19, for I know that my Redeemer lives. That's a pretty powerful statement for a guy who's never seen Jesus. But he says, I know my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I I shall see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. The overwhelming truth of that moment for Job. I know that my Redeemer lives. Friends, he's got nothing. Everything he had was stripped away from him. He lost his family. He lost all of his animals, all of his livestock. Everything that Job knew, everything that God had blessed him with, he had lost. Because the enemy and adversary sought to sift him like wheat. And yet in the 
heart, in the heat of battle, in the, the heart, the, the heartbreak of the loss that he was enduring, he could say, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at the last, he will stand upon the earth. Not I will stand upon the earth. He will stand upon the earth. What confidence Job had in his Lord and in the, and, and in the promises of God. Charles Spurgeon said, faintness of heart. I love that last phrase. My heart faints within me. He said, faintness of heart is a common infirmity. Even he who slew Goliath was subject to its attacks. But faith puts its bottle of cordial to the lip of the soul and so prevents fainting. Hope is heaven's balm for present sorrow. Confidence, hope, trust in God's presence. Now, with that confidence in the Lord, there is no reason to fear. And David would say, Job would say, and a host of others would say that they trusted, that they would see again the goodness of God, and that they would know of his beauty forever. Not in some wild, dark, foreign land, but in the glorious land of the living. Do we come to the Lord like David and Job? Do we come on bended knee like the shepherds, that he's convinced David's convinced, Job's convinced, the shepherds are convinced that the Lord will come to the rescue of his people. David believes that he will taste of God's goodness. Job believes that he will taste of God's goodness and he will see his Redeemer. And that they will experience him in fellowship and protection and guidance and victory, even in the midst of such loss. What is that hope based on? Where does that come from? Well, we trust in God, but how do we, where, how? It comes from his promise, but what seals the deal? For Moses, it was his covenant name, Yahweh. When God told Moses, I am who I am. And every single time that God delivered, he showed that he was exactly who he said he was. God has never failed the meaning of his name, ever. He's never failed and backed off one of his promises, Ever. What a stark contrast it is for David living in the land or experiencing God in the land of goodness, Job in the land of the living versus the valley of the shadow of death or the land of the dead, period. Hear the word of God, friends, this morning. Wait for the Lord. David urges us, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And while you wait, you wait in faith. You let your heart take courage in Christ. Wait for the Lord. It's not mustered up from some song or somewhere else or some devotion that we read. It is mustered up and comes from the Lord himself, trusting in God. And we have that quiet assurance that God will come again and that he is worth waiting for. And my friends, he is enough. What does this have to do with the coming of Christ in Luke chapter 2? Well, think about Simeon again. Go back to Luke chapter 2. Because what I find in Simeon is an answer to the end of David's psalm. Friends, when God answers, we give a testimony to God's faithfulness. And I see that testimony in Simeon and Anna. Simeon believed God's word of promise. Simeon believed and had a confidence in God. In fact, that's his testimony in verse 29 through 32. Simeon is rare up to this point 
in Scripture, especially in, the, in the, what we call the quiet years between the Old Testament and New Testament, where the Gospels pick up the story of the coming of Christ. Scriptures tell us that he had this rare gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was upon him. Not quite like what the church would experience at Pentecost, but something very similar. Simeon was righteous, the scripture says, means he treated others fairly. He was devout, meaning that he was uh, committed to the Lord. And you notice in verse 22 that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the comfort of God's people. Then we have Anna. Anna was a prophetess. She daily was at the temple fasting and praying. Whoa. What would happen if the church started praying and fasting like her? She was advanced in years, but she was a faithful prayer warrior. She was a faithful worshiper of the Lord. And when she saw Jesus, she began to give thanks to God. She began to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. They were all waiting on God to act. And here he has sent Jesus in the fulfillment of his promise. This is what David was looking forward to. This is what Job was looking for. This is what Moses was looking for. This is what everyone was looking forward to. The fulfillment of God's promise. Look again at what Simeon says in verse 29. He takes little baby Jesus in his arms, now about a week old, because he's at the temple for being presented as he was supposed to be by his parents. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Lord, you are going to let me die in peace. That was his promise to Simeon. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. It wasn't just for the Jews. It's for the entire world. And Simeon there has revealed why Christ was born, that he indeed would be the light of the world. And that his light would shine into the darkness. This little one that he's holding in his arms has come to give Simeon the peace he was looking for. Peace from God. Peace with God. He would light up the darkness. This little babe will bring light and the glory of salvation, not just for his own people, but the entire world. Every nation, every tribe, every language has the same opportunity to find salvation, the forgiveness, the grace and mercy of God in Jesus Christ. You see, Simeon sees the salvation that God has sent as he's holding the little baby Jesus in his arms. How is that going to be accomplished? Actually, Simeon gives us a glimpse. There's a bit of sorrow in this as well. His father and mother marveled at what was said about him, but in verse 34, Simeon continues and he blesses them, but he turns to Mary and he says, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. A sword is going to pierce your own soul. Friends, he's talking about what's going to happen at the cross. This little one that you have in your arms, whew, he's going to give his life as a ransom. These two faithful servants Simeon and Anna. Don't have much more time to look at Anna, but other, to say, other than to say what a faithful evangelist 
she was because she began to tell others about Jesus. Two faithful servants of the Lord who are waiting on him to act, waiting on God to take action. We take this truth this morning to heart as we wait for the Lord. Christ has come and he's promised to come again. We are right where Simeon and Anna were in Luke chapter 2, waiting for the Lord to return. The temptation is great for us today to make a savior, a Christ or another Messiah, if you will, out of so many other things that are not going to fulfill the promise of God like God will fulfill his own promise. Listen to Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. What prophet is an idol? When its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, awake, to be a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver and there is no breath in it at all. And yet here, in the arms of Simeon and Anna in Luke chapter 2, two dear beloved servants of the Lord is the living, breathing Savior of the world who will not disappoint. Yes, he's going to babble like all babies do for an, a, a short period of time. But by age 12, he's going to be there in the temple teaching the teachers of the law. He's going to be in his father's house. And he'll come on the scene a little bit later and he'll change water into wine. He's going to heal the lame, bind up the brokenhearted, free the captive. And on the cross, he'll be high and lifted so that we can look to him as the one who's paid it all. He's not a lifeless speechless idol that will teach lies, but he is Christ, the son of the living God. And like Anna and Simeon, who in their old age beheld the son of God, the word made flesh, the fulfillment of the hope that they would so long waited for, we too must put our hope in Christ Jesus. I want you to make Psalm chapter 27 your prayer this morning. In fact, that's how we're going to end this is our time of response today, that you would make Psalm chapter 27, verses 13 and 14, your prayer. As we move into 2023, almost said 2013, as we move into 2023, we're going to start next year with a heavy emphasis on prayer. And there will be the urge to say, okay, we've prayed, now let's go. There will be the urge to pray things just because in our prayer service it'll be quiet, but we must wait on the Lord. Church, we must wait on God to speak to his people and to move us. So this is our prayer, not only today, but into the future, to say that I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, that I will wait for the Lord. 
I will be strong, and in Christ I take my courage, and I wait for the Lord. You may say, well, pastor, how do, how do I know that I'll look upon the goodness of the Lord? Well, like Simeon and Anna and all those before them and all those since, you look to Christ. God's answer to his promise. We trust him. So Christian, we take courage, we stand strong in faith, and we wait for the Lord. He has answered once, and he will do so again. He's provided the Holy Spirit for his church to continue to move forward. And so we wait for the Spirit to come and to move us. David started this psalm with, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? No one, so long as our trust is in him. No one. Salvation is not seen in a change of our circumstances. It's not a program of self-improvement, but rather it is a love and trust relationship with God that God has not sent us an impersonal force to guide us to a better life, but rather he has sent Jesus, his son. So we say, I will wait for the Lord. I will trust in the Lord and I will find confidence in the Lord. So put your trust and your hope in Christ today for he will not disappoint. Everyone who trusts in the Lord will not be disappointed ever. Look upon God's grace and look to Jesus with the eyes and heart of faith and say, this is God's salvation. And I will wait for the Lord. Let's pray.